Well, this morning we are going to pick back up in the book of James together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to begin our reading this morning in verse 5. When you find that, please stand with me as we read from God's Word together. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us clearly through your word, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that, Father, we would be changed as a result of hearing it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we began our study of the book of James last week, uh, we looked at this topic of trials and what it means to walk through trials, but even more importantly, as we looked at last week's text, uh, how is it that we can consider it all joy in the midst of trials? So how, how is it that we look at this life and have joy, even though there's trials that we will experience going through it? And we kind of continue with that same idea here in this text as we begin to talk a little bit about wisdom. He spoke specifically in the last verse, in verse 4, and he says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he turns around and he says, If any of you lacks something. Right? So we're looking at this. After he's encouraged them to embrace trials for the potential, that if they embrace the trials, if they respond correctly to the trials then they will grow spiritually. They'll grow in steadfastness, and eventually they'll grow into maturity, and that's the same with us as well. Now, I want you to notice that link that we find there in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, remember he says that word lack, if any, so that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then verse 5, he kind of glues these two things together with that word. He says, if any of you lacks something, wisdom, he says. Now, First of all, God doesn't want any of us to lack. Isn't that the case? A good heavenly father doesn't want us to lack, and yet what do we find ourselves in the situation of all the time? We lack. And most of the time it is we lack maturity. We, we lack maturity. We lack spiritual growth. And most of the time, if we're all honest, we lack wisdom. We need wisdom. We need this kind of wisdom from God. Now, why is wisdom important? Why is it that wisdom is important? We look at the book of James, and all throughout the book of James, he's talking about wisdom in various ways. Uh, in the Old Testament, we find this topic of wisdom to be very, very important. Why is wisdom so important to the life of a Christian? Well, it's because it is that particular quality, wisdom, that is needed if we're going to endure through the trial. We actually need wisdom in order to make it through to the other side. We have to have wisdom to make it through the trial. So if you want to find joy in the midst of your trials, if you want to remain steadfast 
and persevere during the trials. If you want to become mature in your faith, uh, a Christian who is bearing fruit on a regular basis, then you have to have wisdom. You have to have wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? That's, That's the question. So if we know we have to have it, what is it? What is wisdom? What does it mean to have wisdom? Now, there's a lot of different answers that we, we might be able to, uh, to throw at that question. Some of them are right. Some of them are wrong. Um, now, there's two things that I want to say that wisdom is not before we actually talk about what wisdom is. The first is wisdom is not just the sum of all knowledge. That's not what wisdom is. Uh, it's not just having a lot of education. It's not just having a big brain. I mean, I think about, about someone like Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is probably one of the most brilliant men on the planet today. Uh, he, he is wheelchair-bound, unable to speak, unable to move his arms, but the man's brain is incredible. I mean, he knows more about quantum physics and, and uh, astrodynamics than I could possibly try to learn in like three lifetimes. He's a brilliant man. He's got an incredible brain. But that's not wisdom. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is not the sum of all knowledge. It's not just being educated. It's not having read thousands of books and written on thousands of subjects. That's not simply what wisdom is. It's not the sum of all knowledge. But also wisdom is not simply proverbial sayings given by an older person while you're sitting on a porch drinking sweet tea either. That's not wisdom either. That's not just wisdom. Right, So when I think about that, Stephen Hawking may be the other side. Maybe Andy Griffith is the flip side of that. So you watch the Andy Griffith show. You have this you know, quaint little town, Mayberry. You have this sheriff who's always coming out with weird little sayings that sound really wise and you know, really funny. Um, one of them I was just thinking about the other day, he, he speaks to his son Opie. And as he's talking to Opie about love, he says, you know what? You never know when the love bug's going to bite. You know? Well, I don't even know what that means, right? This kid's looking at him like, that's, wow, that's really incredible. That's true, Dad. You know, that's not necessarily wisdom either. Wisdom's not just the sum of all knowledge. Wisdom is not just these proverbial, pithy, short statements about life, about how to do life better. It's not Facebook cliches either, for those of you on Facebook. Wisdom is something different. So if if it's not the sum of knowledge, if it's not these short, pithy kind of statements about life, then what is wisdom? Well, in the Bible, we find that wisdom is actually, there's two words that is used in the Old, one, one word in the Old Testament, one word in the New Testament that describe this idea of wisdom. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word was chokmah. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word was Sophia. But both of these words capture the same kind of idea about what wisdom is to be. In the Old Testament, there's an entire book devoted to wisdom. The book of Proverbs, Solomon gives to us wisdom that he has gained over his lifetime. Now, this is what I want you to understand wisdom to be. Wisdom is an understanding about God and our relationship to God that causes faithful obedience to God in our lives. Now, there's a really easy way of remembering that. Wisdom is knowing and doing. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom isn't just knowing. It's not just knowing the right things, always having the right things to say, always saying them in a way that people's attention is captured and so you look wise. It's not just knowing, but it's actually doing the things that you know. 
So in relationship to God, wisdom is understanding who God is and also at the same time understanding who you are in perspective to who God is and then responding, seeing your life transformed by that knowledge. So it's knowing and doing because of who God is. This is what wisdom is. This is what we find in the scriptures. Now Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, we're going to talk about wisdom just for a few minutes more and then we'll move into uh, the rest of this text. But it's important for us as we begin this book of James to, to look at this idea of wisdom. Solomon, in the, uh, the opening paragraphs of his book, uh, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, he speaks about wisdom. This is what he says. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, this is the purpose of the book, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. He says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. But notice this. This is the origin of wisdom. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we can't be wise people unless at first we recognize who God is. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not the sum, but it's the beginning point. We have to know who God is in order to be wise. Now, he goes on and he tells his sons to trust in God and to trust in God's ways above their own ideas, above their own ways in order to make sense of this life. This is what he says to him. He says, my son, this is in chapter three, he says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, this is the one we all know. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So wisdom gives us a proper understanding of who God is, that we ought to fear him. But wisdom also gives us a proper understanding of ourselves, that we cannot rely upon ourselves, but instead we have to rely upon God. Now, listen again to what Solomon says in chapter 3 and verse 21. He says, my son... Do not lose sight of these. He says, keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked. When it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. So what is he saying here? He's saying you you have this perspective now that you understand God, you understand yourself, and now you can live in such a way that you're confident about who God is and what he's going to do in your life. So Solomon, finally he says that wisdom requires obedience. 
And from the New Testament, we understand that this obedience is not simply out of a duty, but this obedience is motivated by faith. So listen to this last section, Proverbs chapter four. He says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So, so taken from Solomon, we understand that wisdom is an understanding about who God is, it's an understanding about who we are in relationship to that God. And then it's a, it's a transforming of the life so that we are obedient by faith to God and what he's instructed about. So this is what wisdom is. So in order to endure faithfully under trial, to have joy in the midst of trials, we have to have wisdom. We have to have the right understanding. We have to have the knowing and the doing both present in our lives so let's look together at what James is saying in chapter, chapter 1, verse 5. Look at verse 5 again with me. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, we've already read that that God is the one who gives wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So God is the origin of all wisdom and knowledge. God is the one whom we get this precious gift from. God is the one who calls us all to spiritual life. He renews our minds so that we can know him, so that we can love him. And God, and James says that God is this fountainhead of all good things. God is the one, he's the wellspring of life. From him come all good things. Chapter one, verse 17, just a little bit down from where we are, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we must understand, when we think about this, we must understand that the certainty of the gift is found in the character of the giver and not in the persistence of the receiver. Let me say that again. The certainty of the gift is in the character of the giver and not the persistence of the receiver. The fact that we can trust that God is going to give us wisdom is not based upon whether or not we ask enough. It's not based upon whether or not we ask correctly. It's based upon the character of our God. He is the one who gives good gifts to his children. God is the one who gives good gifts. Now, it seems as though James, throughout this letter, is relying heavily on his older brother's material in the Gospels. Uh, we look at uh, this passage here, it's mindful of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he's talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, he says, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So it's because God is good that we know that he will give good gifts to his children. Now look at this next phrase. He says, who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, this word generously is, um, well, it's the, the, the word generously, it's, it's the most common translation in our English versions, but I think it'd be helpful to point out some of the nuances of this word because I don't know that it's the best translation of the word. Uh, the word generously, uh, the root of this word actually means single or simple. That's the root understanding of that word. Now, Paul uses uh, a similar word that has the same kind of root in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. And he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And then he says, with sincerity of heart, with sincerity. Another example of that would be a word built from the same root uh, that is found in Luke chapter 11. Jesus is speaking, and the KJV gets it right. It's, it's kind of ambiguous what it means, but they get it right. It says, the KJV says, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. Now, what's it saying? It's saying, when, when the eye is single, when you have a one direction kind of focus, when you're looking at this single object, you're focusing your attention on this one thing. Single-mindedness, really, is what they're getting at. Now, this word in the New Testament that we find here in this, this uh, letter from James, uh, the word generously that we translate generously, is only found in the New Testament here. So we don't have anything else to compare it really with. Uh, but when we look in the Old Testament, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, we find this word 12 times. And one time, it is some kind of idea about generosity, but the other times, it's talking about sincerity. It's talking about integrity. It's talking about blamelessness. That's what we find the word really speaking to. And so when we look at what James is saying, it makes a lot more sense to understand it in the way of sincerity or, or blameless or integrity. Um, one of the most common themes in the book of James is, is with this concern for Christians, for us, to display spiritual integrity, singleness of intent, combined with this blamelessness in our actions. Now, it seems like James is trying to highlight something really important. The fact that not necessarily is God generous, but he is. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, that he has lavished upon us all blessings, right? So we know that God is generous, but what is he getting at? He's getting at the fact that God gives with a single, undivided intention. God gives sincerely. He earnestly desires to give these gifts to his children, which makes a whole lot more sense when we think about the with, with, without reproach. So God gives with sincerity without reproach. So it's at no point are we going to get to a point where God says, you know what, you should have enough wisdom. Good gracious. And he scolds us for not having enough wisdom. God's not going to do that because he earnestly desires to give you more. He wants to give you more. He is sincere. He is one-minded, single-minded about giving good things to his children who need them. So if God gives sincerely with a single-minded devotion to care for us, then we should ask in the same way. And that's what James is getting at. 
God is the one who gives wisdom. God gives it with sincerity and love uh, to his children so that we can joyfully endure the trial. But now notice how James turns from this object of our faith, God, and now turns us to look at the substance or the manner of our faith. Look at verse six with me. Verse six, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So we must ask for wisdom. We have to ask with the right attitude. We have to ask for wisdom with the right attitude. Our asking has to be in line with the way that God gives. God gives with single-mindedness, with sincerity, and we ought to then turn around and ask with single-mindedness, with devotion, with sincerity. That's the way that we are to ask. James seems to also, at this point, be reflecting on Jesus' teaching in the gospel recorded in Matthew 21. He says, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, is Jesus just talking about a blank check? You can just say whatever you want, and God is, he is going to give you whatever you want. Now, there's a lot of people out there that think that that's the case, uh, but this is not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about a blank check. We have a big problem with this whole concept with the prosperity gospel. Uh, we have an entire movement in evangelicalism and even further down in the global south, in South America and Central America, uh, where the prosperity gospel is just ravaging people. It's a theological epidemic that is, that is crushing families because these preachers are telling people, if you will just speak a word of faith, then God is obligated to give you what you want. And the truth is that is not what we find in Scripture. The whatever you ask is qualified by Scripture. In fact, James, in James chapter 4, verse 3, he says this. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So when we ask for things that are outside God's will, even when those things seem to be good in our own minds, God is not obligated to grant them. God is not obligated to, to give those things to us because he is in the process of making us more like Christ. So if we ask for things that are outside the parameters of what will make us more like Jesus Christ, he's not going to answer those prayers in the way that we want him to answer them. Friends, if we ask for wisdom, that is in line with what God wants to answer. If we ask for wisdom, wisdom is that understanding of who God is and who we are and then a transformed life that is shown through obedience and faith. God wants to grant that. God wants to give wisdom. But we must ask with confidence in God, not confidence in ourselves. We must not doubt God's sincerity. That's what he says. Don't, don't ask and doubt. Because when we doubt what we're basically saying is that, God, we don't really believe that you really want to give us the things that you've promised us. We don't really trust your integrity. We're doubting the fact that you are good and, and, and the things that you've said are true. So a man who is doubting and asking, is, he says, it's like a person who's been driven by uh, like the waves being driven in the ocean. Now, the example that he gives here is this illustration, this picture, and, and he's not talking about 
He's not talking about these massive waves that are coming up and crashing down. So it's like really violent and big. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the billowing waves. He's talking about the shifting of the shape of the waves. So as you look out, everything is always changing. Everything is always different. And this is like the mind of a person who's doubting God. So you go from, yes, I think I want to trust God, to, oh, oh man, look at all of these things that are happening in my life. Oh, look at the finances. Look at the checkbook. We don't have enough. Look at this. Look at that. And, and we're shifting from trusting in God to trusting on ourselves to trusting in the things of this world. And he says, that person will not get anything from God. He's trusting in himself, not trusting in God. He lacks the anchor of the soul, I think one could say. In the book of Hebrews, is, the author of Hebrews is talking about God. He's speaking to them about the integrity of God, the goodness of God. So all throughout the book of Hebrews, he's focusing on this, this promise that God has given, that he is going to bring about a new covenant, and that God is trustworthy. And then he says this in chapter 6. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He's talking about Jesus. So we have something that is stalwart. We have an anchor of the soul. It's God. And we can trust in him, trust in what he's doing. So when you're struggling through the trial, ask God for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom to make it through the trial so you can endure the trial with joy. Ask with single-minded devotion to Christ, and God will sincerely grant you wisdom. He will give you clarity. He will give you perspective. Trust God, and he will give you the things that you need to endure. Now, lastly, look at verses 7 and 8. We have to long, then, for the outcome of our faith. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, for that person, he's talking about the doubter, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Well, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So the doubter has a particular outcome, doesn't he? The doubter isn't going to get anything. The doubter is not going to get a thing from God. The one who doubts the sincerity and the integrity of God, even through the trial, this person is going to receive absolutely nothing from what they request from God. Now look at the contrast, though. The double-minded man, the doubting man, will receive nothing from the hand of God, but the one who sincerely asks, the one who is is trusting in the goodness of God, shown through the gospel, that person is going to receive good gifts. That person is going to receive wisdom because God gives good gifts to his children. So by faith, trust in God and long for the outcome of your faith. You remember from last week the passage of scripture, one of the passages of scripture that we read was 1 Peter chapter 1. And in the verses that followed that section in chapter 1 that we read, Peter talks about this outcome. And I'm just going to remind you, back back in verse 6, it says, In this, he says, you rejoice, knowing now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying that that it's that refinement process. As we go through trials, God is refining us like we're being thrown into a furnace as though we're gold and being pulled out with all of the impurities 
pouring off of us. This is what God is doing through the trial. But now listen to what he says as he goes forward. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. And that joy is inexpressible and filled with glory. And notice this. He says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. Friends, it may be difficult now in the trial. Maybe you're going through a trial right now. Maybe it's difficult. Life is hard. Marriage is hard. But God is not going to abandon you. God is not leaving you. God is not going to leave you by yourself during the trial. And if we know who God is, if we know who we are, and we're we're properly, biblically responding in faith and being obedient to God, God is going to grant us wisdom to go through And obtain the outcome of our faith. God is faithful to us. And friends, he will finish the work that he began in you. We must trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being gracious to us. And Lord, thank you for not scolding us when we don't have wisdom. Thank you for not being reproachful of us. Thank you for being a father to us so that we can come to you in times of need and stress and pain. We can come to you and we can speak our minds. We can ask of you to give us wisdom that we might properly understand who you are and properly understand who we are in relationship to you so that we can live a life that is worthy of the gospel. God, we pray this morning that you would help us as a congregation to be wise, that we would not look at what you're doing among us, and the, the vision that you've given us and the, uh, the forward thinking that we are, are doing about what it is you're going to do with us in J-Town or in Louisville or in North America or around the world. We would not look at those things doubting, but that we would trust in your sincere desire to make something here of your people to use us for your glory. God, we pray that you would bless us now, strengthen us to be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name.